As you know, Calvary Chapel studies the Word of God, and we endeavor to live by the Word of God. This is very important to us. Oftentimes, we're, con- we're, we're accused of hate speech, and because we talk about things that are controversial within our world today, but it is not hate speech, it, it is love speech. We are simply telling the people the truth about the Word of God. We don't want to do it with a, with a harsh heart or anything like that, but our goal is to tell people the truth, and Jesus is going to be sending out messengers this week, two by two, and they're going to go into a pantheistic world. They're going to go into a Roman, a Greek and Roman world that has all kinds of views of God, all kinds of ways of life, and they're going to be approaching these ways of life. And we're going to see how the disciples did this, and we're going to see how we're called to be men and women of God in this culture, to represent a culture that was really fleeing God running from the true God. So if you would, stand for reading of the Word of God. We're in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. And when He had called His twelve disciples to Him, He gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles were first. First Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Labius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These 12 Jesus sent out, commanded them, saying, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter a city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts, nor bag for your journey, nor tunics, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake up off the dust from your feet. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. This is the word of God. Father, we are so grateful for your word. Thank you for this time that we can study it. Help us to learn what you want us to learn today. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would touch each person here in their area of need. Lord, if it's correction, redirect. If someone doesn't know you as their Savior today, today could be the greatest day of their lives where they come to know Jesus Christ and secure eternal life forever. Holy Spirit, please do your work amongst this group today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. There is a king that is coming, a king that is going to rule, a king that is going to bring law and order to this world, a king that is going to be righteous and pure and holy, and we cannot wait for the king to come. That is why I wore my Maranatha shirt here today. Maranatha, even so come Lord Jesus. So that's what we, that's what we emphasize here. Now Jesus is going to give his 12 disciples dominion over the things that satan has brought into this world the evil that he's brought into this world demon possession unclean spirits are going to be cast out illnesses sicknesses all kinds of of trouble and he's going to give his disciples the authority to represent him in the culture to the jewish people as he has demonstrated to them now remember jesus broke into the chaos of this world for two reasons Two reasons. Number one was to seek and to save the lost. Now, aren't you glad that he came to seek and to save the lost, that he came to save us from our sins and give us an eternity with God forever? And then secondly, he came to destroy the works of the devil. Destroy the works of the devil. Now, what are the works of the devil? Let me just go through a few. His number one tool that he uses in dealing with humans is deception. Deception. He is a deceiver. Distraction. Discouragement. He uses his fiery darts to try to get through to the Christian in particular. He's a tempter. He's a persecutor. He's a masquerader as an angel of light. But all he wants to do is destroy. And he is a liar. 
Remember in John 8, Jesus said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks his native language of lies, for he is a liar and father of lies. The works of the devil. Remember, Satan is a defeated foe. The victory was secured on the cross. Here what Colossians 2.15 says, having disarmed principalities and powers, that structured order of, of the demonic realm. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. Now, Satan is defeated and his demons are defeated, but folks, they are alive and well and still active in this world today. And we just need to be aware of their schemes and their methods. The world system is still controlled by the ruler of this world, and that would be Satan in his demonic realm. Now, we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. Are we going to be people, it's going to come up here on the screen, the first picture, the word versus the world. Which one are we going to follow? The world's ways, which right now in America are fleeing from God. A whole change in the way that our culture responds in the world. Are we going to stand on the word of God, which is the truth? This would, the world's ways would be lies. The word, remember Jesus said, thy word is truth. So we stand and we live based upon the word of God. Now we know that Satan again wants to deceive and distract and discourage. And we had some fighting words, remember? Fighting words last time. Submit, resist, and come near to God. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. And by the way, that's a promise. If you submit, you resist, the devil will flee. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Now why does the devil flee? Because he doesn't want to have anything to do with armored up Christians. Nothing to do. He wants to go to some softer target, somebody else that he can get at. Armored up Christians. And remember this. God has given you the armor of God. Wear the armor. It's in Ephesians chapter 6. Protect yourself against the enemy's schemes, his deception. And I would suggest to you that in, in Romans chapter 13, 14, it will come up on the screen. But put on every day, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. That armor is actually putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your protection against the demonic realm. He is your protector. Stay close to your shepherd and you will be protected. Run from the cover of the shepherd. And what happens to the little lamb that's wandering off? The wolf. <laughs> Garble him up. So stay close to the shepherd. He is your protector. Now we start out in our, in our messengers and their mission talk today. In verses 1 through, th 1 through 4, 12 messengers are called. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power. He gave these 12 power to do what he did. These 12, okay? I'm emphasizing the 12. To cast them, to power over unclean spirits, to cast them out, heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases. And then he gives the names of the 12, which I've just mentioned. But I would like you to realize this. Every list that you see in the New Testament that lists the disciples, they're a little bit different, each one, but Peter's always the first, and Judas is always the last. And as always, he's the, was the one that, that deceived or betrayed Jesus. He was the one that betrayed Jesus. So the 12 disciples were selected for their mission, selected for their mission. Now, I want you to think about this. Their selection was to do something very, very specific, it was to go to the people of Israel. It was to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand to the nation of Israel. He's offering the kingdom to the people, to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. That's what they were to do. They were preaching. And it had the 12 disciples, had the 12 disciples, uh, well, had the mission, had, had, the, had, the, had the Jewish people received what the 12 disciples had said and they received the kingdom of God, then that would have ushered in the kingdom. That would have, and they could have very well been the 12 leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel at that time. Now, I want you to know something. The selection of the 12 was not done off the cuff. Now, remember, Jesus had all kinds of disciples that were following him. 
He just didn't go into this mass of people and say, hey, I'll take you and I'll take you and I'll take you. No, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. It was done with some structure. Luke 6, 12 tells us how he did it. Jesus continued in prayer all night long in prayer to God. Verse 13, it says, and when it was day, all night, Jesus prayed. This is Jesus, okay? Now think about us. We spend about three seconds in prayer and we think, oh, that's long enough. Jesus agonized all night long over these 12. When it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them, from the massive group, he chose 12 whom he called apostles. Now, this is the first time apostles has been used in Matthew. The word apostle is apostolos. It means sent ones. This group was going to be sent in the world to change the world. These were, the, these were the, the group. Now, I want you to think about something. Out of all that mass of disciples, Jesus chose 12. We have a picture here. Just to give you a little, little visual on this, apostle again is sent one. The 12 apostles were a select group from, from the disciples from a larger group. Now, in the next slide, you're going to see that even in this select group, there is even a more select group. This is the inner circle of Jesus. Peter, James, and John, sometimes some people add, add Andrew, but there was a selective inner circle that Jesus ministered to. Then he also ministered to these guys. Then he also ministered to these, but his concentration was on a few. Now, this tells me something. Jesus is a master teacher, but yet he only inputs into a few people, 12 at the most, to change their lives and that those lives that would change the world. Now, when you're thinking of apostles, there's a wrong view of apostles and a right view of apostles. Hear this. The wrong view of apostles is this. Now, we've spoken about this before. I emphasize this because I think it is significant that you know this. The NAR, the New Apostolic Reformation, these folks believe that God is doing a new end-time things of raising up apostles who have charge over different sections of churches. And that's a lot of control and that sort of thing. And it's validated by signs and wonders, just like the apostles of Christ. And I'm saying to myself, hmm, I don't think I'm seeing that. But they claim it's happening. And their goal is to make our world suitable for Jesus to come back. They will make the world better and better and better. Now, how are they going to do that? Their strategy actually isn't a bad strategy. They want, to, they want to take over government. They want to take over the arts and media and education and that sort of thing. The goal is great. The problem is it's not what the Bible says is going to happen. It's not what the Bible is going to happen. We know that our world is not going to get better and better in preparation for Christ's return. We know that it's going to get worse and worse and worse. How do we know that? The Bible tells me so. The Bible tells me so. Yes, it's the Bible. The Bible tells us. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 37. Tell me what this, these days were like. As it was in the days of Noah, couldn't find anybody but Noah and his family that were righteous left on the earth. So shall it be at the second coming of Christ. Luke 18, 8, when Christ returns, will he find faith on the earth? And then we know that something significant is going to happen to the church globally, and we are seeing it happen in spades today in America, which I think is like the last bastion of, of, of major nations that were following Christ. Now, there's other places where revival is happening in the world. Not here. There's an abandonment of God in our country. And we call this, the next picture is going to be let no one deceive you. This is the great apostasy for the day of the Lord. What in the world is the day of the Lord? You know this if you've been in our study and prophecy, that the day of the Lord is the seven-year tribulation period when Jesus is, is actually working with the nation of Israel to turn their hearts back to him. And they won't believe until the very end. This is the worst time in the history of the world. Billions of people will die during this day of the Lord. This is when God, Jesus Christ himself, is pouring out his wrath on the world. This day will not come unless the apostasy, nice word, it just means the falling away from, 
It's where believers start to believe other things and what the scripture says comes first. And the man of lawless, the Antichrist, is revealed. Now, this is a problem for pre-tribulation people, but it's not so much of a problem if you look at it this way. I believe the Antichrist's actions will be identifiable before he takes authority and power. When he starts coming on the scene, our spiritual antennas should go up and go, uh-oh, uh-oh, this may be, now we don't know, because I believe we're going to be exited from here, but this could be this dude that's going to act like he's great and wonderful and terrific and then bring destruction upon the world. So the apostasy comes first. The falling away comes first. Now, I want you to think about this. These apostolic reformation folks gain control in churches, and they have a lot of authority, a lot of control, a lot of manipulation goes on with people in control. Beware, folks, this is a false teaching in my mind. Now, there is a right view of apostles. There are the apostles of Christ, and I'm emphasizing this for a reason. There are only the 12 apostles of Christ. Paul was added, okay, because he saw he, he met the criteria on the road to Damascus. So he had three things. He had to be called by Jesus personally. Mano a mano. Man to man, that's how he called these people. Authenticated by signs and wonders, saw the resurrected Jesus. That is the apostles of the church. Now that kind of died out, and what was raised up after that to lead churches was elders. Elders, remember 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, tells us the qualifications of elders. So, apostles of Christ. Then secondly, they're apostles of the church. And again, it means sent ones. These are the ones that start churches and ministries. And third, there's a spiritual gift of apostle. Now, that is an equipping gift. And it's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. It says this, And he, Jesus, it's his church. He gave some. Now, the Holy Spirit gave all these other ones, all these gifts. But Jesus himself gives this. Some to be apostles some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor teachers. What was their purpose? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ. All spiritual gifts are for the edifying and building up of the body of Christ. It's nothing to use for yourself. Nothing used for self-aggrandizement. It's always for the body, to lift up the body. So, there were some apostles of the church that are mentioned in Scripture. These are not apostles of Christ. Barnabas, Andronicus, Junia, Silas, Epaphrodites, and, the, and there's a few more that are in there. In Mark chapter 12, we see how the disciples went out. They went out two by two. They are paired. Now, Peter and Andrew go together. James and John go together. Everybody's buddied up to go out together then somebody has to buddy up with Judas. Now, they don't know that Judas is Judas yet. And he carried the money bag. He carried the money bag. So Simon the Zealot, remember he was the knife wielder, goes with Judas Iscariot. And I bet Simon thought, oh boy, I get to go with the guy that carries the money bag. He's the one that has all the influence in the group. Judas looked like sounded like, smelled like an apostle of Christ. But remember, he was a tear amongst the wheat. He was false. He was phony. He was not genuine. He's always mentioned last as the one who betrayed Jesus. And by the way, Judas was a very, very popular name at the time of Christ. Do you know that Jude, the half-brother of Jesus who wrote the book of Jude, his name is Judas? They changed it to Jude because of the, the connotation that the name Judas had. Thaddeus, one of, the, one of the disciples, one of the apostles, his name was also Judas. Interesting, isn't it? How many people today do you see naming their kids Judas? Now, as our culture gets darker, you might start to see that. Okay? But heretofore, I have never heard anybody called Judas. Judas. Now, it's these 12 that went out to change the world, okay? And they impacted their world. 
This is the group that went on a possible mission. It'll be 11 because Judas is going to be discarded. Paul will come on and Matthias will come on at some point. This is the group that fought for position and power. Do you know that James and John, the sons of thunder, fought with other, argued and wanted to be in a privileged position in the kingdom? Do you know that this whole group ran away in Gethsemane when Jesus was taken captive? They forsook him and fled, it says in Mark 14, 50. This is the group that was absent at the cross saving John. This is the group that was told, now listen to this one, to wait for Jesus in Galilee. This is after the resurrection. This is after they have seen the resurrected Jesus. Now this is the setting. Now watch what the scripture says. Then the 11 disciples went into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Meet me there, guys. Meet me there, guys. I will join you there. And he does. When they saw him, they worshipped him. And these amazing words, some doubted. Isn't that, doesn't that just stun you? Some doubted. That means to waver in opinion. Now, folks, does not this group remind you of us? Are there not times where sometimes doubt creeps in? But this gives us hope that God can use someone like me. Someone like me. And by the way, after Pentecost, 50, Pentecost 50, after 50 days after the resurrection, the Spirit of God was poured out on these people, on the church. And after that, no doubters, you shall receive power in Acts 1.8. When a Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And these guys accomplished their mission. Most of them died for their faith. John got boiled in oil. They tried to kill him. The rest of them were, were killed. The vast majority of the apostles of Christ died with their faith, filled with the Holy Spirit. Mission accomplished. Now, this is important. Do you think that Satan tried to thwart their mission? Do you think that they had an easy mission and an easy road? Think of all the times Paul was beaten and mashed on. Think of the time Peter was in jail and how many beatings he got. It was not an easy mission. But they would not be deceived by Satan. They would not be distracted by Satan. They would not be discouraged by Satan. They had their shield of faith. They could, they could block every fiery dart the enemy was firing at them. They fought. They finished. They kept the faith. Folks, that's a message for us. It's not going to be easy here. You fight, you finish, you keep the faith. We have the same Holy Spirit available to us today. The same Holy Spirit power to fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy 6.12 says this. And remember, there's a good fight. A good fight, a worthwhile fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life. That's number one. To which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That is, I, my life was a confession. I confessed the Lord Jesus in the presence of many, many people, regardless of the opposition. That is what we are to do. That's the good fight. Twelve were called, eleven finished, eleven kept the faith. Eleven fought the good fight of faith. In verse 5 and 10, we have an interesting portion of Scripture here. And some people have claimed that this portion of Scripture is, and they accuse Jesus of being prejudiced. Prejudiced. Watch this. Twelve messengers to the Jews only, and I just wrote there, what? What? Oh, is Jesus prejudiced? Well, let's see. I don't think he is, but let's see. There, these 12 Jesus sent out, commanded them saying, do not go the way of the Gentiles. This is an imperative. It is a command. Do not enter the city of the Samaritans. Command. But go rather, a command to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, this is what they are to do. Their primary mission, preach, caruso, herald the truth saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is an offer of the kingdom to the Jewish people. That's why it's to the Jews first. 
heal the sick, cleanse the leopard, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received from me. It doesn't say that, but it implies it. Freely give what I have given to you. Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts. Don't take anything with you, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunicates, nor sandals, nor staffs. For a worker is worthy of his food. Now, let's develop this text. Don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. And again, this is an offer of the kingdom to the Jewish people. It wasn't to be offered yet to the Gentiles and the Samaritans. It was to the Jews first. To the Jews first. Now, the question is, is Jesus prejudiced? There are today... This has actually happened, and I have heard it myself. Biblically ignorant, progressive Christians, pastors, that have suggested that Jesus was prejudiced, not going to the Gentiles and the Samaritans. That is biblical ignorance at the highest degree. These are the ones that are teaching people in a vast, and a lot of churches in America today. And people are just going, oh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, that not a Brian in the group. You don't see a Bible in the group. That's how you tell if there's Bereans. There's Bibles. The check and see what the dude up here is saying is truth. Is Jesus prejudiced? I don't think so. The salvation, the, the, the salvation message was to the Jewish people first. Romans 1.16, Paul emphasizes this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, the gospel of Christ, most people don't know this, is different than the gospel of the kingdom. See, the kingdom was an offer to the Jewish people. Okay? The gospel of Christ is, a, is an offer to all people groups. All people groups. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Pass. Every and all who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. So why in the world is it to the Jew first? You ever wonder that? Well, there's an answer to that question. There's a backstory to this. It goes back to Genesis chapter 11. It's the Tower of Babel, or Babel, or Babel, whatever you want to call it. We're going to call it Babel today, okay? Tower of Babel. At the Tower of Babel, all the world, all the people in the world had, were rejecting God. And instead of fulfilling the commission of being fruitful and multiply and fill the earth that God gave Adam... And after the flood, he repeated it to Noah. These people, in very short order, said, no, we're going to do what we want to do. And we're going to build ziggurats. We're going to build these towers to the heavens. And we're going to worship the God that we want to worship. Folks, this was the beginning of humanism in planet Earth. We're not going anyplace. We're banding together. This was the first attempt at globalism. Now, I'm going to give you two pictures of ziggurats here. Number one. It's not so much the ziggurat, but it's this. Let us build for ourselves. Notice who the focus is on. Self. A city and a tower. Let us make for ourselves a name. A name. And God saw this, and they were working together. And he says, no way, Ray J. We're not going to allow this to happen. Okay? And so the next picture, God says this. So the Lord scattered them abroad. Oh, yeah? You think you're going to stop here? Uh-uh. From thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore, is the name of it is called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from there did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. God is for, for people to be in boundaries. God is for borders, because people together... Uh, conspire to do massive evil against the true God. God is for borders. It says actually several places in Scripture. We're going to go off on this. We could actually really confirm this. Mankind had a desire for self-rule. Self-rule. This was a first humanistic government. And God says, no way he refused this. Now, out of this mess in Genesis chapter 12, the whole world's running from God God selects a man, one man, Abraham, and he calls him out of Ur of the Chaldeans. And he says, this will be my man. 
And Abraham was a moon god worshiper. And God of heaven, the true God, introduced himself to Abraham. And Abraham believed by faith. And he was the father of the Jewish nation. And from the Jewish nation comes the Messiah. Jesus is offering the kingdom to those people, the Jewish people, who were ushering in the Messiah, who were going to believe in Messiah. He's offering the kingdom to them. And their responsibility, the Jewish people's responsibility, was to disseminate to the world information about the true God. And they failed. And Jesus gives them another chance. And then they reject him. So what does God do? He says, okay, we're going to put the nation of Israel on hold. They failed in doing what I wanted them to do. And now the message of the gospel goes to the church from a nation to a global church where the information about the true God is spread throughout the world. Remember, every single false religion in the world can be traced back to Babylon, the Tower of Babel. Hinduism, Islam, Buddhism, Confucianism, Confucianism. <laughs> it all goes back to the Tower of Babel. So, what we want to know is, what we want to think about is, no, God is not prejudiced. God is, is not a respecter of persons. God is not a face looker. God is a heart looker. A heart looker. Remember in the house of Cornelius, Peter is told to go to this Roman centurion. Peter was a prejudiced Jew. He wanted nothing to do with Cornelius. He wanted nothing to do with going to the Gentiles. And God says, oh, yes, you will. And he goes to the house and he says, oh, I see God is not a respecter of persons. Salvation is for everyone who believes. Now, they were sent out. A lot of people focus on the miracles that they did, casting out demons and healing and all that stuff. But their number one job was to preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then they were given some strange instructions by Jesus. I mean, if you're going into this, this pantheistic world, this world of, of Greek and Roman gods, this false religions, you'd like to be a little bit prepared. I'd like my backpack, like the kid going to, going to school, pack my backpack, then my belt here, have all my stuff when I'm going. Jesus says, don't take anything with you. Huh? No money? No nothing? I can't go to McDonald's? I mean, nothing. You take nothing with you. And then he makes this, this statement. He, freely you have received, freely give, take no money with you, for the worker is worthy of his food. And I'm going to be going to wonder, where am I going to get my food, Jesus? Well, he, he's going to supply. He's going to supply. He's going to tell you in just a second. The worker is worthy of compensation is what he's saying. 1 Corinthians 9.14 says this. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel, preach the gospel, herald the truth, should live from the gospel. That means be supported. 1 Timothy 1.17, let the elders who rule well, plurality, be counted worthy of double honor. That double honor is financial support. Especially those who labor, labor in the word and doctrine. Now, notice I emphasize labor because that word means you labor to exhaustion, fatigue, hard work, dig for the truth, scrape for the truth, keep digging, keep digging, no shortcuts. And I tell you, people today are not digging for the word. Many, 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 many churches, I would say the majority, are doing affirmational talks. You're going to come in and get your words of affirmation. Oh, how wonderful you are. Just have your best life now. It's terrific. It's wonderful. It's all about you. You're so special. You're so special. Nothing about God. Nothing about sin and that sort of thing. Nothing. Labor. No sliding and gliding. Folks, it is an honor. It is an honor to teach the word of God. It is an honor. Doing your part, the pastor, pastor the Sunday school teacher, the, the youth group leader, the home group leader, you do your work. No sliding and gliding. You ever hear this one? 
You know sliding and gliding. You can tell when somebody's sliding and gliding when they go, I'm just going to let the Spirit lead. That dude is not prepared. Period. Period. The message was to the Jews only until the nation rejected the message. God now includes all people groups in his offer of salvation. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's so whoever, whoever, every and all who believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life, Ionios, forever life, forever life. That is the message. In verse 11 through 15, the messengers are sent out, the 12, and the, what you want to learn here is join God where God is at work. Join God where God is at work. Verses 11 through 15. Now, whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy. Stay there till you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, if they reject you, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. And then he gives this warning. Assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. God, remember this. Whenever you're going out, whenever you're talking to somebody, God prepares the way. God is always at work around you. That is the principle. That is the principle. He's always at work around us. The Father is always drawing. The Spirit is always convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. You have the whole Godhead involved in drawing people to, to himself, drawing him to himself. And I would suggest to you this, butting your head against a closed door, a hard heart, a brick wall is a waste of time. Have you ever done this? Boom, boom, boom. They won't hear me. Chris, I've told them so many times and they won't hear me. Yeah, don't beat your head against a wall. I'm looking for a Kleenex because I'm afraid I'm going to have something drop in here and you're not going to like it. Is there? Okay. Excuse me while I get a Kleenex. Yeah. Well, that's a first. Okay. Everybody's awake now, aren't they? <laughs> Got your attention. Yeah. So anyway, don't beat your head against the wall and then test. Look for someone who is worthy, ready to hear. Jesus said this. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. In other words, remember that, what was that cartoon? Exit stage left, that guy. Snagglepuss, that's right, Snagglepuss. Exit stage left. Well, that's what you are to do. Shake the dust off of your feet. Get out of there. Exit stage left. Shake the dust off. Don't waste your time. So many times we become so grievous and so discouraged and we stay in some place that we don't necessarily need to stay in go to the next place that's the principle you can always come back to that person when their eyes are open when their heart is softened but don't waste your time do now when you are witnessing to somebody this is kind of a sidelight but i think it is important do not be forceful demanding degrading or ugly. Now, what do I mean by that? I don't think we go up to somebody and say, get right or get left. Now, you know what that means. I mean, get right and go to heaven or get left and go to hell. And we don't want to say that. That's not how you approach people. That's not how you approach them. In 2 Timothy 2.24, it says this, and this is in the NIV, and it's up there because this is the way I memorized it in the NIV. And the Lord's servant must not, oh, oh watch this, quarrel quarrel you give an argument but it's not to become a fight instead he must be kind to everyone able to teach not resentful those who oppose him he must 
gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance. Who grants repentance? God grants repentance. God changes the heart. God softens the heart. God takes the blinders off, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that, that they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the who? Devil, who has taken them captive to do his will. Remember, the whole world, the whole world outside of Christ is in the kingdom of darkness and has to be extracted from the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of light. That is a miracle of a moment. That happens the second someone says, yes, I believe, Jesus, that you died for my sins. I believe that you took all of the punishment, all of the wrath of God was poured out on you instead of me. Jesus was substituted in my place, and I say, yes, I believe that, Jesus. And instantly, you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Instantly. Jesus will then warn them. He says, assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment for that city. Folks, there is a day of reckoning for all who reject the Savior. All who reject the Savior. Now, if you've zoned out up to now, and I know you're all zoned in when I got the Kleenex, but zone back in now, okay? Zone back in now. I want you to realize something. Where are we in America today? Now, I go through this often. You know that because it's a big talking point of mine. And you know that I believe that God has been kicked out of our culture. He has been kicked out of our culture. He's not welcomed here. He's been kicked out of government, education, corporate America, the workplace. Jesus is simply not welcomed. If you don't think so, you go to work and you try to witness to somebody. You have to be very careful. You know, innocent, innocent, of, innocent of doves, wise as serpents, that whole thing. You have to be very wise. I believe that something has happened here. With the exit of God, we have had an influx of strange gods and spirits into our culture. And what we see today are the results of kicking God out. I want to make an argument for this. In Romans chapter 1, if you would, you can turn there actually if you'd like. In verse 28, it talks about a culture that has been given over to their sin. Remember in the 1960s, we had the sexual revolution. And that is verse 24. God gave them up to the unclean lusts of their hearts. In the 1980s and 90s and 2000-ish, we had the homosexual revolution, where that became more and more accepted. And it says, Scripture says, Likewise, also men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing this shameful act, receiving themselves a penalty for their sins. And then now I believe we're in stage three. Stage three, which when God gives them over to a debased mind, a distorted, perverted mind, where you're calling something evil good and good evil. If you stand on the word of God, our culture now says, oh, that's evil. That's evil. That's evil. Being filled with, and he has a litany of things here. I'll mention a few. Sexual immorality, by the way, is pornea. Any sexual act outside of the marriage covenant, God is against. God is against. Adultery, shacking up, homosexual relationships, pornography. You can add the list, whatever you want. Any sexual act outside the marriage covenant is prohibited by God. That's him speaking, okay? That's him speaking. But that's not just it. Wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, whispers, backbiters, and he keeps going on. And then he makes this statement. Those who practice such things are deserving of death. And he's talking about eternal death there. That's the saddest of all. Folks, when you tell people the truth about Jesus, that's a love message. We are trying to rescue them from an eternity separated from God. That is what we are doing. The world looks at it as, oh, you're intolerant, you're evil. No, we have a mandate from God to tell people the truth. To tell people the truth. Our heart breaks when they believe these lies because be, the ramifications are eternal. Separation from God. Notice he says practice. Because I will bet you there have been plenty of times when I have been wicked, covetous, malicious, 
full of envy. I haven't murdered anybody, at least with a knife yet, but I've murdered them in my mind on I-94 plenty of times. Yeah. Do you see? We, but you don't practice these things. See, I'm in a process of change. I'm trying to change the way that I'm responding. I'm actually getting better on I-94. I'm doing a better job. There's growth that is expected. We're never going to be perfect here, okay? And then he says an amazing thing Paul does. Those who practice those things are deserving of death, not only do the same, they practice those things, but then approve of those who practice them. You know what that's suggesting? That if you give tacit approval to lifestyles that God has said, do not do, you are as guilty as the person. Let me give you an example. How many politicians say, I'm personally pro-life, but I believe in the woman's right to choose. I'm personally for a man and woman to be married. That's a real marriage. But I believe that, that, that men should marry men and they should be happy and that sort of thing. Folks, if you believe that, you're as guilty as practicing it according to the word of God. So people need to know that. They need to know that. That's the truth. That's the truth. So, exit the true God, enter the false gods. Now, we had a word for this, where there's this mixture of Christianity, supposed Christianity, and all these other thoughts that come into people's lives. And we call this syncretism. Syncretism. And that is man-made religious beliefs here, but any man-made belief, throw it in the pot, throw a little God stuff in there, take stuff out of context, just make it say whatever you want it to say, throw that in there, and out of that comes a worldview. Okay? This is what predominates in our country today. A hodgepodge of a little bit of God and a lot of the false gods, kind of mixing them up, mixing them up. And what have we seen today? We've seen people talking about, if you do not, if you just look at, at, at Jesus' words, if I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man can come unto the Father except by me, you are looked at as narrow and intolerant. That's a love message from Jesus. That is a warning from Jesus. I am the only way to heaven. But if you look at it the world's way, they think you're enlightened. You're enlightened. You're intelligent. You're not narrow-minded. Are you like those real rigid Christians? Yes. Folks, there's only one way to God. Don't let the father of lies distort what is reality. That is happening all over our country today. Some closing thoughts. Now, we are all messengers with a mission. We are living in the same world that these disciples went into. They went into a pantheistic world. They went into a world where there was all kinds of Greek gods, Roman gods, false religious beliefs, and they had the message of the true God. And full of the Holy Spirit, they accomplished their mission. We are going into a pantheistic world. And that word is this. Pantheism is the belief that God consists of everyone and everything. Boy, don't we hear that. We're all going to become gods. For example, a tree is God, a mountain is God, the universe is God. All people, everybody's God. We're just all part of the Borg Pantheism is found in many nature religions and is held by many New Age followers. Christianity refutes pantheism. Christianity says that God created everything, not that he is everything or that everything is God. Well, Christianity teaches that God is omnipresent. That means all over. Remember the psalmist says, if I go to the heavens, you are there. I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. He's all over or exists everywhere. It separates the creator from his creation. God is transcendent. He is outside of his creation. He rules his creation. He is God. He is God. We are not God. That is the message that, they, that tries to be promoted today. We are messengers on a mission, on a mission. Now, think about this. Truth has exited most, has exited our culture for sure, but it's even seeped its way into exiting from the church, from the church. The Bible is out. 
And again, as I said, your weekly affirmation is in. That's what people like now. Truth, folks, dispels the lie. It is up to us. We're just a few. This is the remnant that is existing today. We are the few. Keep speaking the truth. We call this being salty. Impact your world. Many pastors, now listen to this, are being trained in woke universities, woke seminaries, filling woke churches, speaking woke messages. America has changed, folks. The headwinds are strong. This is not your parents. Well, if you're a young parent, it could be. This is not your older parents' world. Consider Consider the following. On May 16th, 2022, written in the Christian Post, took an article from, the, from, from Arizona Christian University and says this, 37% of Christian pastors in the United States have a biblical worldview. 62% possess a hybrid worldview known as syncretism. 44% of senior pastors and 28% of associate pastors have a biblical worldview. But listen to this, 12%, 12% of youth pastors have a biblical worldview. Let that sink in. Now, these are people that are influencing kids in churches. These are kids that believe that they're saved. Some of them could be, some vast majority I don't think are, think they're saved. These are, they've grown up in youth groups. They've gone on mission trips. They've done all the stuff that the church likes people to do, to be part of the church, show that they're part of the church, okay? And then they go to a university, and they sit down with a science professor, a biology professor, some guy, some guy in philosophy, and they're told something different than what they've ever been told in their youth group, which, by the way, not much Bible in those youth groups. So they don't know why they believe what they believe. 70% of those kids abandon their faith and never come back to the faith. That is a tragedy. Now that, that falls upon the church, folks. We are to teach people why you believe what you believe. So when challenged with a contrary worldview, which you are getting 24-7, you'll be able to stand against that heat. Okay? That is an important pro- point to remember. What they learn in progressive, seeker-friendly, woke churches will not sustain them. Will not sustain them. So, I have a question for you. I want to ask you this. Search your hearts. Look inside of yourself right now. Where are the men of God who stand for the truth? Where are they in the culture? Where are the men of God who stand for the truth? And I would suggest to you this. Men in America are being conditioned to be boys for life. There used to be a magazine, Boy's Life. Well, when you get to be about 15, you get rid of boy's life and you start being a man. You start being a man. They flee responsibility, flee honor, flee character, flee being men and become a hybrid of the man slash boy. What do they do? They hole up in rooms and play video games all night long. C.S. Lewis terms it this, terms it men without chests, men without courage, men without backbone. Watch what he says here. We make men without chest, courage, and expect from them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor today. People laugh at honor. People laugh at virginity. People laugh at telling the truth. People laugh at serving the true God and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. Now, think about what you are seeing in our country today. As God has exited, in the 60s, you were not seeing school shootings like you do today. There might have been some very isolated instances, but you're not seeing that. Our, Our nation has grown darker And we've allowed these false gods to come in. Men do not know how to be men. You do not learn how to be a man by playing a video game 18 hours a day, killing people all day long on the video game. 
People have become desensitized, and now they're carrying out those actions that they've seen in movies, video games, or whatever, into real life. There's a distortion between the reality and the fantasy, and it's blended together in our culture. Folks, it is not a gun issue in our nation. This is my words. You don't have to believe me on this. It is a heart issue. It is the nation has turned from God, and the hearts are dark, and that's what's being played on in our culture today. That's the problem. So I've asked you, where are the men of God? How about this one? Where are the men of God who preach the word? Where are they at? Paul warned this was coming. You've heard this scripture before in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 5. Remember what Timothy, what Timothy was told by Paul? Preach the word, Timothy. Be prepared. Be prepared. Be prepared, Timothy. To cor- in season and out of season. To correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful understanding. For the time will come, Timothy. The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. They don't want this. They don't want to hear what God has to say. Instead, they will gather a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Words of affirmation. How great I am. How I can live any way that I want, as long as it's covered under the mantle of love and be accepted. Folks, that is a lie. God is a God of love, but he's also a God of righteousness and holiness and purity. We have to get this straight. And then he says in verse 5, Timothy, but you be watchful in all things. Keep watch, folks. The pastor is to keep watch over the flock. And it's not just a pastor elder job. It's all the elders, all the deacons, all the Sunday school teachers, all the youth group leaders, anybody that has a voice within that body, watch over the body of Christ. Protect them because there are wolves coming in that want to destroy Watch for the lies. You're a watchman. Warn your family, your friends, your co-workers. Be watchful. Men and women of God, you're still out there. You're still there. Watch. Stand fast in the faith. Be brave. Be strong. And then Timothy is told this in verse 5b. Endure afflictions. That means the evil the suffering in your world. Timothy, you're going to be presented with this. Endure it. Endure it. Don't give up. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. In the face of all the opposition, Timothy, fulfill your ministry. Now, I'm just going to finish with this. May we, band of brothers and sisters, fight the good fight of faith together. Now, remember... United we stand, divided we fall. Remember the song? Well, we won't go there. May we not give in to the headwinds of the times we are living in together. May we band together as true followers. There's all kinds of phony baloney Christians out there, folks. True followers, encourage one another, build one another up together. The church throughout history has done this. They've sailed against the winds of adversity. We are no exception. In America, we are soft, and we are no exception. We're being challenged now, like never before. We got little flaccid muscles, and now we're being challenged. And now we're working and exercising. Our muscles are getting stronger, and we're standing for the truth as men and women of God. We won't cave. Have some backbone. May we, the church throughout history has done this. We are no no exception. May we do the same. We have a message and a mission. May we fulfill our mission. Folks, I want you to get this last picture. The baton has been handed off to you. It has been handed off to you. You are to take the baton and like the rest of the church, give people the message about the true God. Tell them about the real love of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came here to die for you. He lived his life a perfect life, died on a tree, an awful death, And he did it for you. And he loves you and wants you to be with him forever. You have to believe that message. And then believe what he's taught in his word. And then we have this. Finish your race. Let us run with endurance the race set before us. Fixing our... The only way you're going to do this, 
fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. The author, Jesus started it, the finisher, he will get you home safely. Fulfill your mission, folks. We are given a mission. We have a message. We have a mission. Fulfill your mission. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. God, I ask that you would speak to each one of our hearts today. I know that we're all been touched in some sort of way with this. Lord, if someone doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray today will be the day that they say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want to live with him forever. I don't want to live separated in hell forever. Those are the two options, heaven or hell. For those who are in the body of Christ, when we fulfill our mission, may we have a message of salvation, of God's love, really, to the nation around us. And may we do it in such a way, as Paul said in Timothy, the Lord's servant must not quarrel. He must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct and hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. May we approach it that way, with a gentle spirit, a heart that really cares for people that are lost. Help us, Lord, to do our part and fulfill our ministry. In Jesus' name, amen.